I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number 29. Welcome to the 29th episode of the Life in Dub podcast. How are you doing? I hope you're all okay out there. Thanks for taking the time to tune in to another reggae life story episode. As usual, I've got to say thanks to the many people that have got in touch to let me know what they think about the series. It's always great to hear from you, so please feel free to get in touch at vibronics at gmail.com. Please keep sharing and helping the podcast get to more people. Don't forget there's 28 previous episodes to check out at lifeindub.com or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. This week, I want to talk a bit about musicians and about recording. You see, recently I was working with some amazing reggae musicians at a studio in London for a new project. There's usually a few people involved in each track that I've released, whether that's singers, horn players, percussionists. But at this time, I was working with a band, drums, bass, guitar, piano. Like I said, it's usual for me to record musicians in the studio. I've been doing that for years. But when you have a whole band, it's so different to how I usually produce my tracks. Normally I have almost total control over the bass and the drums and the chengs, especially working a lot with technology as I do. You can really be a dictator, controlling every last detail. But when you have a team of musicians, the music really starts to take on a whole new life. Suddenly you're not in control of every last note, every accent or hit. It made me realise how I've taken this control for granted over the longest time, but now I have to let the music in this new project grow and become its own thing. That's something I've got to get used to. Maybe in Jamaica, when reggae first went digital, I guess it must have been the opposite way around, with producers for the very first time realising they can control almost everything you hear in a track. I think as a producer, it's good to set yourself a challenge, so let's see where this takes me. This week, my guest is Dixie Peach. Dixie is well known as a vocalist and live performer, but in this interview, we learn a lot about his early days, which were spent running and playing sound system. It was also great hearing about how his big tunes in the 1980s, like Pure Worries and Tonight Is The Night, blew up and put him in the spotlight for the first time. We had a great chat, so enough of me. Let's get on with the interview. So, Dixie Peach, welcome to the Life In Dub podcast. Greetings, Steve Vibranix. Yes, I. Yeah, nice, nice you could join me. So, looking forward to finding out a bit more about the whole sort of Dixie Peach story, obviously. Yeah, man. I An artist here. like you had a long, long career, so I'm sure we've got plenty to talk about. Mm. Yeah, there's yeah, there's lots to talk. I mean, even in the, the, the little time we have, it's, it's still not enough, enough time, but we can get as much as we can in. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, um... What, what I do at the beginning of the podcast is I ask every guest the same question, um, which is this kind of name a track that really was significant for you or really made you change things for you or really made, you know, made a big impact on you. So I don't know if you want to tell us about a, a track like that. Well, the track I could tell you about what started everything was Pure Worries. Mm-hmm. I mean, without Pure Worries, um, I don't feel, well, it would have been a Dixie Peach, but things wouldn't have happened or gone the way it has. So that was like your first like big hit, is that right? It was my first record and my first big hit. Well, let's... Because I feel we're going to talk about this in the sort of time scale. So let, let's kind of backtrack a bit and stuff and talk about maybe stuff that led up to that. So you're born in London, is that right? Yep, born in South West 
um, 11. Well, I was born in Chelsea, Kings Road. Um, grew up in SW11 Battersea. Um, come from a musical family. So you say you come from a musical family. I mean, when, when, when did music started being involved, you know, in your life? When, when did you find a first, like, latch on to music, if you like? Well, um, from when I was about five years old, when I, I recognised that when my dad had a party, you know, he had his little, it was called a gram at that time. It was no such thing as a stereo or nothing like that. It was a gram. And he used to invite people around and he would play music and I used to just sit on the chair and watch the turntable. You know, it was exciting to see the record go on and then you put it on the bar and then when the record finished, it just automatically clicks down and the needle comes over. It was just fascinating to me. So when I got to a certain age, my dad would say, right, son, I'm having a party tonight and you could play the music. So you're like a childhood selector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what kind of music? Do you remember what kind of music was played at your dad's parties? Yeah, them days, you know, it was um, like tunes like Sweet Sensation. And this is when I, I get to, got to realise what I was playing. Cherry Old Baby, um, Curly Locks, Lee Perry, um, a lot of Sky music and... Um, the, the country and western singer Jim Reeves. Yeah, Jim Reeves is like such a big name in the whole like the Caribbean households. Jim Reeves seems to be like, he's there, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. When we're every Sunday, you know, my dad will put on a Jim Reeves album and just let it play. And we would all just sit down and just enjoy the Sunday listening to music. And you say it's like a musical family. So you've got other people in the family that were involved in music as well. And kind of maybe I've got Maxi Priest my cousin um, Bunny Red's Young Lion Select uh, I've got I've got so much family members in, involved in sound system and, and musicians and singers rappers so there's there's a long line of us you know what I mean I heard you know there's there's like Fred Locks and all of us in some way we're all connected wow that's like that's some like roll caller people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long list of, you know, the connection, you know. Jacob Miller, you know, the, he, he was called Elliot. Maxi Priest's name was is Elliot. Then you got Stafford Elliot, which is Fred Locks. I come from the Gale, the Gale side of things. It's, it's just a long history. What You know, it goes way back in, in St. Elizabeth in Jamaica. And a lot of them, that's where they come from, their family and the lineage. And that's where we're all connected, you know what I mean? And what about... You getting involved in music as, because again, I've asked a lot of people this, and I, I think there comes a point where you realise like music's really important to me. I want to, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm obsessed with it. I'm gonna spend all my time doing it. And you know, were, were you really into it when you were young? I mean, did it was there a point where you thought, you know, music's really it for me? Well, I was in a school choir um, as a as a, a, a tenor singer or whatever they, they was at the time. Yeah, I was in a choir. Then I discovered sound system because my dad built my brother a sound in the house. So I used to watch my brother, you know, play out. And and I suppose that's when I really started to say, well, that's what I want to do. So you had sound systems like in the house? Yeah, man, we had a sound in the house. Yeah, my dad built a sound called Tipitong. Okay. Yeah, and my brother used to play out and my uncle Bongo, he was a selector for Drew Creed. So what 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 do you remember the boxes being made? Because I'm always amazed by these pictures. Yeah, the, the boxes, old, the, cra the crafted boxes back in the day. Yeah, you'd have like a single cabinet design. Yeah, and 
you know, 12 inch with like musical notes on it and all kind of patterns on it. And it was just like a 12 inch box. And then they had a little eight inch box. Well, no big sound. It's more like a, a little party sound. Mm-hmm. But that sound there turned into some big kind of it's a sound called tipper tone in, and it just turned mm-hmm. out to a big sound. You understand? When my brother realized what he could do and he was working and then he started like getting 18 inches and built it bigger. Then what happened after that, he joined a sound called Kilowatt. And now I'm of age, so I decided to build my own sound called Prince Brown. And again, it's like something I've asked, you know, everyone about because it's just something I'm really interested in. And what what do you remember going to dances when you were young and like what 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 they were like and kind of Yeah, man, when I was say 13 years old, 14 years old, we had like I said, I had my own sound called Prince Brown. So what we used to do was nip my mum's old pram, <laughs> put all the boxes in there and push it to the adventure playground. And in the hut where where Ben used to say, well, you could bring a little set and you could keep a little dance in the hut. And we, we that's how we started with Prince Brown. And that's when I realized, well, people are coming and people are actually dancing. A man and a boy and a girl would be dancing together. And, and that's what it was like. I mean, we played music, people grabbed the girl and had a dance. <laughs> it's like the value of these like community centres and stuff. And in the days now where things are being cut, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's yeah. so important to have those places where you can go. Even if you're wheeling your boxes in your mum's old pram, it's like to have somewhere to go and play. It, it was always oh, wonderful, man. I mean, you know, the adventure playground, they would say like, all right, if you've got a little sound, you could bring it and test it out in the art. So I used to bring it every Friday, push my sound down there with my friends. Some of them would carry a box and we'd push it to the adventure playground charged 10 pence to get in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and people used to turn up, you know what I mean? And what about going to, like, bigger dances where, like, you know, proper sounds were playing and stuff? I mean, do you remember going to your first, like, sessions like that at all? My first session was, um, well, I actually didn't get in. I had to sit outside at the, at the back and listen to it. It was um, Providence House. Mm-hmm. And you had a sound called Highway, Lord David, and a sound called Danny King. And I sat behind, because you could hear it really clear if you sat behind the outside at the back of the club. So I used to sit on the wall there on Friday and just listen to it. And then one day, Danny King said to me, carry this box in. And I carried it in and just hid it in the corner. Because <laughs> I was too it's young to be in there really, but I hid it in the corner and, Trojan horse. Oh, when I saw the boxes, I was just fascinated. I seen all these boxes all around the side of the walls and big amplifiers. And, you know, when you hear the mic, man, and you would just stand up and say, boy, wow, that's, you know, fantastic. And after that, they would let me in the club every, every Friday I could get in there. You know? And that was when I first discovered a dance and heard a proper sound system. And... It gave me the inspiration to say, well, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be like them, you understand? And what, what, what was going on in the dance? If you had to describe it to someone, it's like in those days, when yeah, you were young. You them know. days there, you would have like, them days I used to play dub plates, but it wouldn't be a special, it would be just like an exclusive tune. 
You wouldn't be have no sound names called in it. It would just be an exclusive tune, so only played by me, you know? And then next when you hear the other sound, you're a liar. Here's this. Here's another cut of it. <laughs> I was in Providence House one night with Danny King and Lord David, and they must have played 12 cuts of Curly Locks. You know, Danny King played one, then Highway played one, then Lord David played one. It's like, it was just Curly Locks. You understand? And that and was the beginning exclusive of... Exclusive cuts. Yeah. And them times were the beginning of a sound clash. I don't even think they knew what they was doing, but that was the beginning of sound clash. You know what I mean? When a man say, only play by me, one in other world, and then I would say, yo, brethren, hear this cut, see tune. Then you hear the next one say the same thing. Me have a cut too, hear this, only play by me. And then it, and that's when I realized, look, this, this, this thing is not easy. This thing ain't, ain't no normal thing, you know. Listen to these tunes. Because you heard Curly Locks, but you've never heard these versions. Mm-hmm. And these are different dub mixes and different, different instrumental mixes. versions. Yes, and... yes. And, and you know, them things that were just fascinating me until I used to save up my money and I'd go and buy these dub plates, you know what I mean? And what, what other sounds were around at that time? I mean, this is going back some... Coxon, Sufferer, Lord Cruz... But there were so many of them, you know. Now, now that you put me on the spot, it's hard to remember yeah. them. <laughs> well, it's a long, it's a long time. It's ago. a long time it's a long ago, time but ago. yeah, Danny King. I always think when I'm doing, I always think when I'm doing this, talking about the early days, is I should get people to get some old like leaflets and pictures out and That's stuff right. to kind of remind. Yeah, because you, you're suddenly being asked to go right back into like you know the sort of depths of memory and you know those early things. But at some at some point, like, you, you you got involved, I guess, and you sort of. You you what you 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 joined a sound you were with your brother's sound well what happened were, like I you said in a sound I built a sound called Prince Brown and we had the sound for about three years and then we started playing in like house parties so what happened one day is my brother phoned me and he said I see that you're playing sound system I said yeah man I'm, I've got a little sound he goes come and meet me so I went and met him and he brought me to a friend of his house and he says. Look, here's the sound. We 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 haven't. We're not playing it no more. You, you you could go and run it for us. So when I looked in the shed, it was like ten, eighteen inch speakers, and it it was just a big sound. Big jump up from the community center. Yeah, the, he the said. Adventure playgrounds. Yeah, he said you could control this. So I said, "What? You serious?" He said, "Yeah, you can control this. You and your friend can control this." And that was the sound called Kilo Up. So now Kilowatt, what we done with Kilowatt is we, we was playing like, now we're playing big sounds like Sticksman, Young Lion. We're playing like Mwambasa sound. And what's it like playing those bigger established sound when you're like a new sound and you're young? And well, like, what, what is it like playing the, the, the guys who've been doing it a while? Yeah, it's nerve wracking. <laughs> it's nerve wracking. But the thing with me is, I always look on things like this. Win or lose, I'm going to make a name. Mm-hmm. You understand? People never knew who Kilowatt was. And then when we played this sound, yeah, they started to realize, hold on, this sound ain't no easy sound. Look at the size of it. And then, so when I play sounds, I don't care if I win or lose. Because I know once I finish that dance, Kilowatt now is starting to get recognized. 
And what, what about like moving the sound? Because obviously, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, is it? To like move a sound and no. up, up downstairs and you know what I mean? Well, we had this old boy, John, and he used to charge us 20 quid. And he would... To, to, to drive the van. Yeah, he had a nice... So, you know, he was, our, he was our man. He was our lifesaver, he was our man. We'd say, John, we're playing out such a session. Just say, what time? Rare, rare, rare. It beat on the spot. Put the sound in there. Drop us wherever we go, and he will come back for us. And we paid him twenty quid. But he was a God bless. He was such a lovely man. You know what I mean? I see. You have to have your people around. You can't do it alone. Kind of no, thing, you, you you have to have a team. You know, he came. He became one of the team members. And you were like picking up the mic, and you know, well, kind of them times entertaining and no, them times of burning. So I wasn't a mic man. I was just a selector. I used to just play the sound. No. I thought you'd been straight on the mic, but like you were... No, no, I had my own, I had my, my mic man then. I wouldn't touch the mic them times then, unless it started getting heated, I would have to come in and say, yo, yo, cool on your temper. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Apart from that, it was my MCs what were chatting for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Slimmers, Longman, Nigga Jimmy... General UB, I had, I had a, a proper mic team. So what about you and what about you and the microphone? though? because obviously that's what everyone, that's what I know you for, and that's what most people listening will know you for. I mean, be, there, there'll be a few people that are listening that will remember you back in the day, but a lot of people will think of you as this recording artist and this, you know, the man with the microphone. So wh- when did you like, you know, start getting involved in that? Was that with the sound first? Yes, it was. What happened was Young Lion was. Because Young Lion, that's another thing. Young Lion is one of my original sounds. I'm one of the founders of Young Lion. So while I had Prince Brown, I was always with Young Lion sound, you know? They turned out to be Mm -hmm. one of the best sounds in England. Mm -hmm. What happened was Young Lion were playing Saxon and there was no mic man in the beginning. No one wasn't there. It was just me. And I had one lyrics. Obviously, I'm not a mic man, but I had a lyrics, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the man then put the mic in my hand and said, Peach, it's up to you, you know, it's only you here. I said, but we're putting it in Saxon. He said, no, man, you have to just try something, man, try something. So I had a li- one lyrics, and I can remember it till this day. Zim, zim, brudy me, have a brother, then. Zim, zim, brudy me, have a brother, then. To make his money, he lip on hustling. Is I man Dixie Peach pan the mic chanting. Me the pan the mic loud till the morning. I tell a young lion, keep your rock and swing. <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember who was with Saxon that night? Yeah, that night there, it was Colonel was there. Papa Levi, Tipa Irie, Rusty see Sandy. With, right, see you there with the big guys. Eh? Yeah, they was all there. But what happened was, they kind of turned up late. So that one lyrics is, is it, it, after that, I was nervous. I said, I haven't got no more after that. Um, but what happened when he wheeled it up and the place went mad. I couldn't believe what I said, well, what's going on here? Anyway, Daddy Willie and nigga Jimmy stepped in the, the, the correct time. And then we started burying Saxon and then their team turned up and then the battle was on. You know what I mean? 
Well, I think a lot of people have this thing where they kind of want to do it, got a few lyrics, got some ideas, but they see these people around them who are the masters of the trade. Yeah, yeah. And it's a bit like, no, I'm not really worthy, you know what I mean? And then, then they do it, and something like that happens, and they see a reaction, and it gives people the confidence oh, to, man. to want to do it again. The reaction was brilliant, you know what I mean? I mean, it was a great reaction. I couldn't believe it. I said, but if they did ask me to carry on, I would have been in trouble because I didn't have no more. <laughs> So what, time to put pen to paper after that? Then? Yeah, no, what happened after that now is um, I still didn't get involved with singing or not. I was just carried on playing my sound. And what happened when, what, what happened, Kilowatt now was going to play Saxon. And we didn't have no dub plates. So I said, what are we going to do? We got dub plates, but we didn't have a dub plate, what we'll call our, say, our sound name or, you understand? Mm-hmm. Or a, an exclusive that no one couldn't play. We didn't have none of them. So I was in the sound yard and we had a little studio downstairs in the basement. And I heard, heard some melodies coming from downstairs. I said, what's that? So I ran down there to say, well, Derek, well, what's this? He goes, oh, we're just messing about with a Casio. So I said, do it again. And that's when I heard dum 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 I said, that's a tune. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, look, man, all you have to put is the, the reggae on it. Yeah, yeah, put the chain on it. Yeah. So they done that, and then we was looking for a singer to go on it. We couldn't find none. So I said, you know something? I'll do it myself, man. i got a little voice. Let me do it myself. And that's when Pure Worries was invented. And it was just that, so you recorded it that one time there. One time then... there, one tech. Recorded it and then the big night came when we was going to play Saxon now. So I'm the selector. So everybody was nudging me saying, put the tune on, man, put the tune on. Because they can't <laughs> play time. it. Yeah. You put the time, t- you're right. And I'm saying, well, I didn't want to hear it because it might sound crap. And they say, no, nah, man, the tune's going to do the thing, man. So I put it on and I turned my back to the crowd because I didn't want to see no bad reaction. But when I put it on and I heard the reaction, Steve, the place went mad. Wicked. I must have lifted it up about five times. And then I got a bit confident to say to Saxon, only played by Kilowatt, no one can't play this. And that's it, you're there as, as a young man and you're playing Saxon and you're using your well, tune. Well, not young man, I'm you're, you're same like, age as them, yeah. They were all the same age as me. But you're kind of, you're troubling the other sound with your own music. Yeah, now. yes. And I mean, they were, because they, they just went into a, a they, they were shocked. <laughs> they said, where did that come from? And then we had like three different versions. We had a Joe, you remember that program, Joe 90? Mm-hmm. Well, we used that melody and we put it on there and we called it the Joe Knighty mix. Like Thunderbirds. When we played, yes, when we played that mix, the place erupted again. And we had them in a position where they just didn't know what to do at that time. Because every tune I was playing, they would play four cuts of it or five cuts of it. I played a, a, a tune, a junior read and Saxon played five cuts of it. But I held one back. Played it back on you. Yeah, you? played it back on me. But I had one what I held back. So, you know, when they finished, I had still had one more to play. So what I'd done when they finished, I played it. It was a junior read on Studio One. 
And I got it from Bunny Lee. Bunny Lee now, Bunny Lee is related to my my the mother of my my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was always around Bunny Lee, King Jamins. I used to eat dinner with Dennis Brown and John Holt and Delroy Wilson, Derek Morgan, all of these men I was around. You must have learned stuff from them as well, because it's like when you've got people like that around, it's like apprenticeship. Yes, well, what happened? Bunny Lee, you know, he's the one who gave me that junior read and said, look, no one could ever play this on you. So he gave me, matter of fact, what Bunny Lee done for me, we went to a studio in Acton, he invited me up there. He booked two hours extra for me and said, cut what you want. And that's when I started my first, got my first lot of dubs to play against Saxon. Mm-hmm. It was the great Bunny Lee what gave me, provided them for me. And I rest in peace, Mr. Bunny Lee. We'd always love yeah, him. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, legend. And to, and to have, I guess, to, to go into the dance knowing you've got that kind of weaponry, it means like, okay, I'm ready for this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I, you know, I've done my homework to play against Saxon, but. I'm not being funny. Saxon is a, a great sound. They've got so much tunes. They have tunes. You, you, you can't play. They're not, it's not an easy sound to play. But you could play a tune and they might have five cuts of it. So, But at the same time, everybody was saying to me, you're going to get killed in there. You're going to rare in this. But Steve, I didn't care because all I, all I knew is that when we do this, we're going to be so recognized. Mm-hmm. Win or lose. And that's exactly what happened. We got, you know, now everybody wanted piece of Kilowatt. And what, what happened with Pure Worries after that? Because obviously you've gone from playing it in the dance, but at some point it went from there to being this mega hit. What happened is there was a man standing in the corner by the name of Nick. And he heard the track and he contacted us. Okay, he was friends with the, of, of Kilowatt, the sound owner, the man who owned the sound, you know. And he came to the house and said, that tune what Dick's played, Pure Worries, um, I've got a man who, who, who might be interested in it. So they phoned me and I went up to the yard. I said, well, what's happening? They said, boy, this man's talking about someone might want to release Pure Worries. So I said, I'm not a singer, man. I'm a sound man, man. I ain't no singer. He says, so what? You don't, you don't know what the tune I said, look, I'm not a singer, man. So funny hearing you say that because it's like everybody now knows you as a singer, but it's like not having, you know, it takes a while to recognise, doesn't it? You've got that skill to be a singer, especially when you're around Dennis Brown and Junior Reed. Yeah, and at them times, I wasn't really, I didn't class myself as a singer, you know what I mean? I would just listen to them when they were playing dominoes and you hear them singing and you would say, that tune when Dennis Brown just thought that was brilliant. You know, they come out with their little one-liners. So anyway, yeah, so what happened? Nick got in contact with Jatubis. Then I got a phone call from Jatubis mm-hmm. saying that he would like to release it. And Jatubis were already, like, they were a big sound at that time already. Oh, he was mega. Them time, the Tubby's mega sound. Big, 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 big sound. Them time, he was playing Quaker City and Shaka and all these big sounds. Yeah, Tubby's, Tubby's, he, you know... I remember playing against Tubbies when we was in Young Lion. We played Tubbies. And what was that like? Boy, that was a... Well, Tubbies destroyed us with bass line, man. He, he was just so heavy. 
It was a it was a brilliant dance. Yeah, great dance. Because when I saw Tubbies, I said, well, where's this little man? Where's he going? But when he turned on his sound and started playing that bass line there, I said, this man is he's, he's not normal. I never heard bass like that in my life. Because there was no one like Jar Tubbies around at the time, I guess, was there? No, not heavy like that. I mean, you had sounds like Quaker City and Jungle Man and, you know, these, tell you the truth, Jungle Man and they were they were heavy sounds. They were heavy. Yeah, Birmingham. Yeah, they, they, that Birmingham sound there was heavy. It's a heavy sound. Um, yeah, I mean, Young Lion as well. We played Jungle Man, Quaker City. We used to play all these sounds, but... Tubby's, Tubby's, at that time, to me, was still one of the heaviest sounds in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Tubby, and he, he's kept that reputation up till this day. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So what happened with, what happened with like, the, the record release then? So did well, you... Right, well, what happened there now is, I was laughing about it. I was saying, listen, man, I'm not a singer, man. Boy, Steve Vibronics, little more did I know when that tune come out, what it would do. Because it was a proper hit, wasn't it? It was massive. It was a massive hit. Because I obviously, I, as you know, I run a label and whatever. Do you know how it became a massive hit? Was was there a big promotion on it? Or was it just some viral thing? People loved it. I mean, what what was going on around the release and stuff? Well, all, all I know is Tubby's put it out. There was hardly any promotion done on it. Mm-hmm. The tune just went viral. It just went mad. Tony Williams was one of the first DJs to play it. And when he played it and the reaction, what he got, I think that's where it all started. You know, then it latched onto other DJs. And then when it was out, it, it sold out in the first week. It sold, everything sold out. Because it sounds modern now, but this is years later. But at the time, it must have really sounded super modern. Well, remember, Sling Ting had just come out at the time. Mm-hmm. And when we heard Sling Ting, you know, that's why I said, just put the, the in, in, in. Because we had Sling Ting. I said, and you heard how sling, it sounds exactly like slinking. Not the, the, the way he played it, but the, the sound of it. Mm-hmm. That digital thing. That digital sound. So he put the ching and, and I said, look, there it is, man. This is the modern sound. This, 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 is, this is equivalent to slinking. And when you have a big hit then, I mean, the amount of records you sold in those days was like you couldn't imagine it now. Them days there, I mean, you had to sell a good amount of thousands to say even enter a chart, a reggae chart. Mm-hmm. Pure Warriors, I think, went to number five in the reggae charts, went to number one in Hong Kong, number five in New York. The tune just, it was just going mad. And now, remember, I didn't class myself as a singer. I was still laughing about it. I said, people are stupid. Because <laughs> I'm not a singer. And then Tubby said to me, all right, look, Diggs, can you do another one? So I said, what do you mean another one? So you thought, that's it, that's my song, I've done it, that's it. That's it, I thought, well, that's it. You know, I said, he goes, no, do another one. So I've done another one, and what happened after that? Now, I got a phone call from Tony Williams to say, could I come and do a PA? And I'm saying to all my team, look, this is getting ridiculous now, you know. They, they, they want me to come and sing it in front of people. He goes, so what's wrong? I said, come on, man, I don't do them things, man. <laughs> Me going sing in front of people, are you stupid? Because now, now we look at you as like a showman, you know what I mean? Confident, everything, but I guess back then it's all different, wasn't it? Back then I was a nervous wreck. So the day, 
Then I said, all right, let me go and try and see if I could do it. Because I, you know, I've sang in front of people when I was in the choir and that. So I done it. I went to Hammersmith Palais and it was a, it was a reggae awards, big show. And I was backstage. I was saying to my mate, I want to go, you know, I didn't want to do this. And they, they, they held me there saying, nah, man, do it, do it. But I didn't, you know, when I went out there, Stephen, the reaction was so brilliant. I just felt quite proud of myself after. I say, look at that. And I wanted to go. Just takes, it takes things like that to get confidence up, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, so, do, you, do you remember who else was there? Who else was around? Because when you're sharing the bill with people that you look up to, the first time, it's such a weird thing. Janet Kay was there. Um, Winston Reedy was there. Um, what was the name of the band, man, with Mafia and Fluxy and Don Campbell? Anytime you see Mafia and Fluxy, ask them, the, ask them about the band they was in. Cool, I'm seeing them next week. So yeah, I'll speak ask, to them about yeah, that. ask them about the band they was in. And Don, Don Campbell was the lead singer, and Bubbles was in wow. that band as well. Mm-hmm. So you had that band there, and Michael Gordon. I mean, these were all the top artists for the UK when we were there. But what I'm saying is that obviously you're on, on the bill with these people. Yeah, I'm a newcomer as well, but I'm saying this is why I was nervous. I say, I'm standing up to, next to Janet Kay and all these artists. And I'm just a little sound man, you know what I mean? But yeah, I done, I done the business, and then after that, Pure Warriors got nominated five times for best new single, best international tune. Then I got nominated as one of best international artists, along with Freddie McGregor and all of this. It was just getting ridiculous. It's crazy. It? Yeah, it just started getting crazy. And then when I won the award, they said, oh, no, Dixie Peach is not a newcomer. So they gave it to Kenny Knotts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and that was the beginning of, of my career. Mm-hmm. And then you went on to do a whole load of recordings, especially for Jar Tubbies. I mean, you know, like Slaughter and... Tonight is the night. It's like, and they were all big tunes, weren't they? Well, my second tune was um, Spin Spin on the Shanghai Shank Rhythm. Spin, 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 the play the 45. Spin, 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 the play the 45. Spin, 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 the play the 45. That was my next single. Mm-hmm. It didn't really do that great. So Tubby said, do another one. So I said, this man ain't ramping, is he? <laughs> and then the smash came along tonight is the night mm-hmm. and then slaughter then ragamuffin and rambo love is a thing holding to your man sight the move you know it's it, it, it just and then you had like colonel might and all these people joining now errol bellet was there as well with me and give me the mix was it wayne marshall he was there as well and then little clark he joined and that was the beginning of Y and D label with the offbeat offbeat posse. And what was it like in those times when? Because you've had some hits now, and like people know you, so I guess like the phones ringing and things are like happening, and you know you kind of started to really get a career in it. Yeah, I was doing shows like three times a week. I was on the road. I mean, this thing really got serious. I had my own management now, and you know, Ragamuffin and Rambo was a number. I mean, I had 
seven top ten hits by then in the Black Echo reggae charts. Mm-hmm. So I was doing shows like three times a week. I was doing a show. I was in Birmingham. Then from Birmingham, we'd gone to Leeds. And, you know, we were just touring the whole of England. And you, you came to Leicester, of course. Leicester? Oh, yeah, man. Um, West Indian Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd done a show in there. And I'd done a few little shows in, in Leicester and Coventry. And were, you, and were you doing stuff with Jar Tobbies as well, like on the sound and whatever no, in that time no, as well? no. No. Just releasing the record. Just releasing the record. I think he had, um, it was Joe, Abashanti Joe. He was the mic man mm-hmm. at that time for Tubbies. So I, I didn't get involved. Them times I still had my sound called Kilowatt. Mm-hmm. So even though I was singing, I was still playing in Carnival every year. And then when it started really taking the fire to stop playing the sound, I had to make a choice now. Either I'm going to be a singer or I'm going to be a salmon, and I decided, well, I'm going to go ahead with a singing career because I have done many years in the sound system. Because it is hard to do. There's not many people that manage to do all of those things, I think, because people ask me about, oh, are you going to build a sound and whatever? And it's like, well, I do love sound system and I love to get invited to play on sounds. I absolutely love it. But my thing has always been making the music and I've always had to focus on that, the thing that you do. And I guess it's like with you singing, it's kind of, that that's your thing, I guess. It doesn't work, Steve. You know, it's, to me, it's like one or the other. So I decided to do the singing. And what happened after Ragamuffin became a big hit, I kind of eased off of everything, you know what I mean? Because now I have a child and my, my family, so... I had to like commit myself to raising my kid and all of that, so I didn't really make no more records for a while. Well, the music game's a really crazy thing to be involved in if you want to have any sort of normality and family and stuff. It's yeah, really it's like... hard. It was hard. It was hard. I, I had to make that choice to say, all right, I, I need to stop now. Because where I think of you coming back in is like when, when Jartobis came out again and, and you did those releases on, on the JTS label. Well, what, um, what, what happened there was... Um, like Jar Road and... Yeah. You know, they were wicked. When they came out, they were like just a cut above what else was happening at the time. And it shows it's like there's that, there's, there's that school of talent there still. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like quality. Mm. What happened was is... Um, now I'm getting, you know, my kids are grown now. Now I want to get back into the music thing, you know what I mean? And what happened now is I was in a band called The Family Pack. You know, just, just finding my way again. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a phone call from Keith. And Keith says, well, Diggs, do you fancy starting again? So I said, yeah, I'm up for it. And he called Bellet. Me and Bellet and Tubby had a meeting. Because Tubby said he wants to bring back his sound. Just, he just built a new sound. So I said, all right, what we do is we'll work around the sound. That's it, because that's how I remember you being with the sound and that, when it, when Tobias Keith came out again, like around 2000 or whatever, it's like you were singing on the sound with them. Yeah, because at the, you remember them times that you didn't have a lot of people doing that. Mm-hmm. So me and Bella, Bella came to my house one time and Tubby's sent over a rhythm, the Gerald rhythm. And... Bellet wrote his, his piece, and I wrote my piece in my house. Went to the studio, voiced it. And from then, you know how it goes, Steve, it all started again. Mm-hmm. Jarrod took off. Bellet's track took off. Tubbies is back on the road. 
And a man said to us, it's going to take us 10 years to make back the name. I won't, say his, I won't say his name. I won't say his name. But when he hears this, he's going to know it was him. <laughs> he said it was going to take us 10 years to make back our name. Well, little more did he know it took us one year. And obviously, when you came back out again, you've got this more... I mean, you talked about being number one in Hong Kong and stuff, but tra- travels were much harder back in the kind of 80s and stuff. But you're talking early 2000s. It's, there's a much more of a global thing going on as well. And I guess you're being called to perform all over the place now. Well, what happened was, yeah, I mean, remember, we, we went to um, Italy 1984 with the sound system. Yeah, no, no one travelled in those days. That's crazy, right. And a lot of people didn't even know that, that what we're doing today, Tubby's done that in 1984. So anyway, yeah, so, yeah, we started singing around the sun and Tubby started getting booked, booked up again and we started releasing more music and 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 now is now. And obviously, you know, things like Rastafari is the only way and stuff. That and song. Like, you know. That song. Big, big, big yeah. songs. Big that, songs. That song was written in 20 minutes. And this is not no boastful thing. Tubby's is my witness. I mean, from me and Bella linked back together and we heard the rhythm it was like we just looked at each other and just said we have it see it then as I sang Rastafari is the way that was it play the chum tubs and me and me and Bella just deal with it you know because you know what it is you know when you you get that experience of singing around a, a song because you know it's freestyle isn't it so when you hear a rhythm you just have to adapt and I, I'm quite good at that, you understand? I'm not too bad at that. Yeah, yeah, because obviously to have a long career, you have to be able to move with the times. And yes. obviously, dan- you know, you're talking about dances in the 2000s. I mean, so different to like when you started in the, you know, yeah. 70s or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, diff- different world, different kind of people going. Different, yeah. Everything's yeah. different. Music's different. Yeah, I mean, come, you know, when a selector plays a rhythm and you're, you're, you're working for that, that selector and... You've never heard this rhythm before, but you've got to like adapt quick. That's what the skill is all about. Singing round sound, ring singing round sound is not a PA, it's a freestyle thing. So if you're bringing a quick and you ain't got melodies and got ideas in your head, it's hard. But me and Bella, you know, this is this is we had we had that kind of skill. Yeah, yeah, and it, but but then you seem to move on and do like started to record for. Lots of other people, like disciples and all kinds of people, and just had, you know, just people calling you to, to voice for them because obviously they, they want your voice. Yeah, well, what happens? Because I didn't even know the Russell rhythm was done by disciples. When I found out, I, I got in touch with um, um, Russ, and Russ, Russ said, Yeah, come, come, because he lives near me. You know, Russ lives about three miles from me. Them days with Bakayar Studio. Yeah, and you West Ewell. Yeah. So I went up there and we um the first track I done for him was Militant. I'm gonna say, because that's another big tune, definitely, because that's one of his like famous rhythms as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When and when I heard the rhythm, I said, That one there, Russ, there's the rhythm. Yeah, that rhythm there. Then I done long, long way for him. That was another smash for him. Then I done an EP called Worries again for him. And that done really well for him. So yeah, and, and that was Russ. Just we linked up and we just got on with it. 
And then after that, you know, that's when now the, Euro- the European producers started contacting Yeah, because there was definitely a phase where produce, because there were sounds and stuff starting out on the continent, but more and more people started producing music a bit later on. And then obviously people started calling artists to come and work and... You know, I know you worked with like my friend Weeding Dub and lots of other people. Oh right? yeah, man, what a nice man, Weeding Dub, Romy. Rom, yeah, he's a nice man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wicked track as well. You did together. Yeah, and funny the thing is, he sent a guy from France to come and shoot a video. I, I know the guy. He did a video with us as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah very nice, brother. You know, we went in up to Westminster. It was raining the day as well. <laughs> and I said, "How are we going to do this?" He said, "Oh, come on, Dick's just we just do it. We just do it." And we've done it, and the video turned out absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's another track. Met them, no. Um, I've I've done so much tunes for people right now. Vibronics is is. I'm just so grateful for all of it. I tell you the truth, I'd I'd never do anything different if I had my life to start again. I'd do the. I'd want to do the same thing. And I guess you would have had no idea when you started out just how long a career you were going to have as well, because not everyone does. I didn't have a clue. I just thought Pure Warriors and that was going to be the end of it. But as you get involved in it, and then when I did start to take it serious, I realised, well, you know, this thing is 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 is, is not normal. This thing here, I've, this is a new career for me. This is what I've got to do. Maybe this is what I was meant to do. And, and more stuff to look forward to, more, more productions in the pipeline uh, and stuff. Yeah, well, I've got the big tune out there right now, what I've done with um, Chris Chemist. I've done some work with Chris Chemist as well. Yeah, he's a great producer. Wicked. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've got this tune out, our music right now, and we've got another cut of it called Keep Our Music Alive, me and solo band to the Margaret. Yeah, another guest on this podcast, the great solo. Yes, and... That that's out right now and that's doing wonders, you know, doing really well. I know that like your dinner is cooking next door, so there's a bit of urgency. <laughs> but what I'm gonna do is like there's one question at the end I ask um all the guests, which is just same question I ask everybody. I've got my book, the book of dub, I write everyone's name in it and what do they want written next to them? So I'm gonna write Dixie Peach in the book of dub and what what would you want written next to your name? It's been a long road. With lots of signs. No, that's it. That's it. And that's it. It's just been a long road. It's been a long road. Yeah. When, when, when did Warriors come out? What what year was I that? I think it was 1984. Okay. Yeah, around that time. 84, 85. One of them dates there. And a lot of people listening to the podcast weren't even born then. Well, this is another thing. Is I mean, there's, you know, the, the greatest thing about that tune is it's been repressed two times. Mm-hmm. And everywhere I go in the world, you know, and you see that the, the people what have the record, I'm saying, but that record, you weren't even born when this record came out. But I say, I know, I know, but they, for some reason, they, they've got a copy. Well, they just record these tunes, these big tunes, they take on a life of their own because I've just been reissuing some of my stuff that was kind of rarer and people yeah, were asking yeah. for. And you've got these little tunes, you make them quite quickly in this little moment in time, which long gone. But years later, they still mean something to people. And I'm always amazed by that. And I guess it's the same with worries. You know, this little thing you made has become this yeah. big thing that people love. You know, what? the funny thing about this this music game, I mean, you've got fans what really take this really serious. They take their artists serious, you know what I mean? Um, I When I stopped making records, I done my first show in Brighton. I pulled up me and Gregory Fabulous and a friend of mine called Jimmy. 
them times that Gregory wasn't around Jatubbies. And I'm going into the club and then I'm saying, look, oh, look, that is going to be trouble here because I see this man just looking at me really horrible. So I said, well, I don't know this face. Let me check back, see if I've done anybody anything. No, no, no. I said, yeah, my friend, what's your problem? He goes, you're Dixie Peach, isn't it? So I said, you know, it's paused for a little while. I said, hold on, mate. What's <laughs> then I said, yeah, yeah, it's me. He says, why did you stop singing? I said, no, I, I just took a break. He said, no, nah, man, you stopped singing, bro, because I was following your career, and then all of a sudden you just went quiet. So I said, well, I'm back now, you know. And he says, I'm glad that you're back. I bought Jarrod the other day, and it's a great track, and I'm just so happy I'm here tonight to support you, and I'm glad you're back. So you've got people following your, your whole career like that. It's yeah, it's amazing. I said, boy, look at that. And, man, I can't believe what happened there. I was quite shocked. Yeah, yeah. Well, it means it means you know it means it really means a lot to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know I get that quite a lot now. You know what I mean people. You know when they see me, they want to talk to me and they're telling me about myself things, but I don't even remember. <laughs> well, music, because you know, music accompanies people on their whole like life path. You know, what yeah, I mean? it's like yeah. the soundtrack to our lives. Yeah. Apart from that, I've had a great journey. I've had a good time. I'm speaking to the great Steve Vibronix at the moment. <laughs> Can't get better than that, can you? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, so. no, you're a great producer. You're, you're a great selector. You know what I mean? You've got, you've got a nice team. Echo and them, man, there. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, we're lucky in Leicester. Got a great team in Leicester. Yeah, so i just like to speak up to the world. I mean, hopefully when everything gets back to some sort of normality possible you'll see me again well Dixie thanks for joining me on the podcast it's, it's been a real pleasure so yeah cheers it's been a pleasure chatting to you I wish we had longer because there's so much to say so I have uh, left part that two. We'll, we'll, we'll do a part two yeah that'd be great but you keep up the great works and until we link God bless yes one, one love Thanks for joining me and Dixie for this 29th episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Don't forget to share the podcast. Reviews are really useful too to help get these reggae and dub stories out to more and more people. If you want to get in touch, just email me, vibronics at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast. <laughs>